Welcome to the Exit Podcast. This is Dr. Bennett. I'm here with Indian Bronson, good friend of ours. I wanted to talk to you first about Miami, which you suffuse it with almost supernatural significance, almost prophetic significance. And I want to know, what does Miami mean to you? Oh, yeah. So I'm very bullish on, on Miami as a city. You know, just from from like a just a structural perspective, you know, when other cities, cops are like, you know, taking a knee with like defund the police movements or like rioters or whatever, you know, the city of Miami institutes an official anti-communist day. And like it, it wasn't it wasn't even it wasn't even like uh, victims of Castro Day or like, you know, Mariel Butler Remembrance Day. Like it, it was just explicitly like this is an anti-communism day. Right. And that, that, that counts for something, right? You know, that yeah. you know, it's pretty, pretty rare that things are that explicitly stated in America. So, you know, it, it's got it's got all of that stuff going for it, which, you know, people will be familiar with because of Cuba's past with Florida, Miami's past. There's all of the, uh, you know, the Cadillo politics that that, uh, you know, our circle certainly perceive in terms of, you know, Castizo futurism and that and, you know, all that all that good stuff. Uh, but then, on you know, on a more aesthetic level, you know, I, I grew up, I'm a creature of the Northeast, very, very happy in the snow. Uh, there's something fundamentally buoyant about a city where, despite the rain, despite the hurricanes, it is just almost constantly sunny. Like, I go out, I go out running in the mornings and like, it's just almost immediately, it's just bright sunlit. People, people are happier here. People are quicker to laugh here. People are quicker to smile here. Yeah, you know, it's 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 the sunshine state. In, in terms of like where the U.S. is going, like, I mean, pe- people who are in our circles will know this. Like, 2044 is, uh, I mean, it's here already. You know, like the the, the census is pretty clear about that. I mean, the demographic uh, shift of of North America is pretty strongly underway. And so I think a lot of people who, uh, you know, I mean, when when my own parents came to this country, you know, they came here in the early 80s. Uh, it's a very different America. And where I grew up is is also still to this day a very a very different America from what will probably be the modal American experience. You know, if you want to if you want to see what navigating the waters, uh, maybe riding the tiger, even uh, you know of, of what's of what's coming down the pipeline over the next 10, 20, 30 years looks like, I think Miami is a great place to do it. This is really this is going to be you know the the entrepot of of the Americas. This is going to be the American Dubai, the American Singapore. A lot of different peoples have a confluence here, and it's tragic in a way, I think, for for someone who is on the right, uh, someone who is inclined to order, someone who is inclined to traditionalism. It's there. There is a little bit of of tragedy in saying, "Well, I guess we can't, you know, have these things anymore. Let's find something new." On the other hand, on the other hand, there's also something deeply Lindy, uh, shall we say, about uh, about sallying forth. And, and pursuing something new, uh, you know, maybe even uh, migrating or invading, <laughs> you know, to, to, new, to new climes. Uh, you know, it's, it's, uh, there's, you know, there, there, there's a lot of, um, you know, speaking frankly, you know, as, 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 you know, as a young man, like there are a lot of business opportunities here. There is a lot, there is a burgeoning tech ecosystem. There is a lot of capital here that wants to find something besides real estate. I mean, there, there's just so much commercial activity here 
that uh, you know you'd be surprised what what an enter an enterprising person can do. And you know uh, that's uh, why why do we think of Midwesterners the way we think of Midwesterners? Like when when you know your listeners certainly imagine people in the Midwest. Well, how'd they get there? Uh, you know they didn't they didn't get there. You know in an easy way. They, they spring from the soil. Yeah. Right, like they're yeah, they're not they're not uh, they're not autochthonous is the term. They they showed up. They showed up in big. Uh, you know, many many people show up places in these big horse-drawn wagons. There's something about it. So, uh, uh, come to Miami. Uh, come to Miami. Um, yeah. Well, speaking of invasion, do do you think that? Well, first of all, are there enough sort of tech bros who are headed that way? that there's concern about it sort of just becoming another Bay Area or, or are those yeah. people staying put? Yeah, so uh, if you go to Austin, there's an overpass, forgetting the name, I can just like Google it later, but if you just Google Austin homelessness, you'll, you'll, you'll find it. Yeah. They are already developing the same problems that San Francisco was. And I, I don't think there's going to be a single city that is the new San Francisco. I think this uh, this tendency towards disorder and like being okay with filth, uh, valorizing uh, poor conduct, uh, you know, holding criminals in high esteem, uh, this weird sort of like California mentality that is also like very adjacent to being incredibly wealthy, you know, incredibly enterprising, uh, doing a lot of stuff. This this weird amalgam. Uh, I think this is basically the condition of most global cities. If you were to go to Delhi, if you were to go to Hanoi, if you were to go to, frankly, you know, Johor Bahru in, in Malaysia, you see this kind of stuff. This is actually a norm. You get this this kind of bimodal split where you have lots and lots of poor and then also lots and lots of wealthy people in a very small middle class. And unfortunately, I think that's I think that's what I think that's what the U.S. is tending to with with its greater and greater erosion of the middle class. So on the one hand, I think Austin is going to sop up a lot of the SF exodus that is liberal because they have, of course, their fantasies of, uh, you know, maybe maybe not fantasies for long uh, of turning Texas blue. Yeah, uh, they, they see Austin as a as a as a linchpin for that strategy. On the other hand, I, I believe uh <laughs> <laughs> I, I know, I know the Indian, the Indian jokes are coming. Uh, look, you know, I, I believe you can have a clean, safe, orderly society. That's, you know, this has been accomplished in many places over and over again, despite great problems to the contrary. And I, I think for now, we're, we're just going to have to be in a mode where we're accumulating capital, you know, accumulating allies, gathering strength, planning you know, becoming resilient. And this is, this is, you know, we can, we can talk more about this as, as the exit interview goes on. Figuring out how to clean up Austin or figuring out how to clean up San Francisco is not something we can do right now because we don't have power. And, right. you know, the, the task for us is really how do we become powerful or at least how do we become powerful enough that we can prevent these problems from swamping us? Sure. Uh, and that's, that's such a constant problem among our people is like, they're like, well, how do we, how do we take action? How do we fix? How do we, how do we exercise our rights? And it's like, your rights are gone, man. Like it's, that ship has sailed. It's right now it's time to knuckle down and, and build something so that you can have those rights again, or maybe your kids can't like, that's, we got to start taking a long view. And, and that's fundamentally what I'm about with exit is, is uh, we're not talking about politics anymore. Like there's, there's, there's not a whole lot productive to be said in that space anymore. 
and and you know so many people when they when they get there they interpret that as like well it's time to start fed posting and i'm like that's the opposite of what it's time to do it's it's, it's time to yeah yeah <laughs> yeah no i mean so this is i i remember when uh i think it was i think it was terry mcauliffe they, they, they've been advancing anti-gun rights stuff in, in virginia for for years now and you know there are two there are two approaches that you can take to this and one is like well if they try anything we've got our guns. And the other approach is a more realistic one, which is like, I knew this was going to happen. So I bought all of the guns that I wanted years ago. And in fact, no longer live in Virginia. Right. Like, right. Uh, you know, it's, we'll, we'll see, we'll see what happens with the uh, Corlett now Bruin at, at the Supreme court. But I, I have a sneaking suspicion that the Supreme court is not actually going to legalize their 15s nationwide. And right. uh, that, that, you know, the, the, the gun issue is a great example of this because it's, it's such a perfect, virtual action of resistance. It's such a perfect way to feel dangerous without being dangerous at all. Yeah. Because, you know, sure, it is a gun. And if you get ammo for it, you do have ammo. And like, you know, anyone that's lived in a city and has also owned firearms has had the weird feeling where they're like, you know, if, if you're cleaning a gun and you put it back together and you, suddenly you're in this large apartment building, you can see out in the street and you have this, you know, this gun with an optic on it. It's like, whoa, you know, like <laughs> there's, there's this moment where you're like, wow, uh, you know, right so behind grass. And it's like, that's completely fake. <laughs> you know, that's, that's a completely fake manifestation of power. It, it, um, and a, a lot of a lot of right-wing activities is basically like this is it's concerned with things that you know feel really good you know win a lot of internet arguments and and don't really amount to very much and um, you know this is this isn't an endorsement of uh, <laughs> this isn't an endorsement of going all the way with fed posting you know don't, don't do that because you'll just lose um, it's the opposite yeah it's stupid yeah it, it's 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 stupid so this is this is going to be an interesting thing to say. You know, let's say an assault weapons ban passes. I mean, I I have all the guns I want, but like, you know, I think it would actually be like honestly a healthy thing for the right to just realize like how fake the gun issue is. You know, they they, they are not going to do anything with it that New Zealanders couldn't do, and there are plenty of governments around the world where you know, frankly, people live healthier lives, uh, less perverted lives, and their governments are obviously more nationalistic that don't really have as strong of, you know, on paper gun rights as the U.S. So, uh, yeah. you know, it's, it's a painful it's a painful thing to let go of. I love guns. I think everyone should buy as many as possible. They're they're tremendous. Uh, and, you know, frankly, they, they are useful for home defense. But it's uh, a beautiful yeah. dream. It's a it's a beautiful dream. And, and, yeah, and you know, the aesthetic is so cool and it's so fun. Yeah, I, you know, on, on the, the, the 0 0.1 percent chance that I get to put on the skull mask and just, you know, go to town. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> sure. I, I, I also do push ups in the plate carrier hoping for that day. Uh, it's not <laughs> uh, so you you approach this from from a different angle. Um, but you seem to be sort of chasing the same dream as we are at Exit, which is recognizing that our friends need a lot more freedom of thought and action. And that fundamentally that's about their paycheck. Cause like, you know, like you're saying, people won't, um, people, people have these fantasies of like, we're going to uh, rise up in armed rebellion, but like you won't even back sass the HR lady when she does diversity training. Like, come on, man. Right. Right. I, yeah. <laughs> So, so why is that so important to you and, yeah. and what's your approach? Yeah. So Nassim Talal retweeted a tweet of mine 
recently. I, I, I don't want to get him canceled, uh, but he retweeted Indian Ratan. Where you know, I said, like, look, you know, the reason the reason a lot of journalists hate Nick Taleb is because he has sovereignty, which means that his comfort really isn't dependent on anyone else's approval. You know, he can he can just live his life, and it doesn't matter what you think of him. He's just materially okay. And so he doesn't need to submit to uh, to anyone's you know HR lady. He can just say what he wants. He can write what he wants. He can do what he wants. Uh, that is sovereignty. No, it's not. It's not total sovereignty. Obviously, it's more than most people. It's yeah, it's significantly more than most people. And you know that that matters a lot more than basically anything else. You want to get uh, as sovereign as as you possibly can. And, you know, sovereignty, resiliency, independence, uh, these are all, you know, slightly distinct but related concepts that I put under the heading of exit. I think these are like, these are these are exactly the things that y you want to pursue. But yeah, it, it's not it's not as simple as just, you know, get as rich as Nick Taleb, <laughs> right? It's sure. kind of, it's kind of a little bit harder than, uh, than, you know, making amazing trades and, and, you know, running a private wealth fund or whatever. Well, I talked to, um, you know, several of our guys that say pretty much whatever they want under their real name. And there's sort of two dimensions to F you money, one of which is to make as much money as possible. But the other dimension is how simply are you willing to live and, and sort of how can you survive uh, on less? And so like, you know, there, there are guys I know who are, well, one of them owns a landscaping business and like, there's no, you can't cancel him from cutting people's lawns. That's just not going to happen. So it, it, you can, you can generate that kind of freedom on the cheap if you're willing to learn some skills. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, so there's, there are a lot of movements that are, that are focused around this, you know, there's, um, you know, fire financial independence, right? Retire early. Yeah, there's the uh, they're they're all kind of weirdos. But they're still like they're still they're still there's an earnestness to them that's like sort of lovable. Like the eighty thousand hours effective altruism people, like they are weird. And like you know a lot if like if you if you look a little bit closer, it's like oh wait they're all polyamorous people. <laughs> oh no, <laughs> it's very weird. It's very weird. But like I mean, if you're not weird, why? What do you want with sovereignty? Why don't you just do what you're told? Yeah, right. Exactly. Like, you know, the normal mainstream American life is living in the pod, eating the bugs. In this house, we believe in science, blah, blah, blah. Like, that is sure. the mainstream. And if you, you don't want that, right, like, you're already a little bit fundamentally compromised. You're, you're, you're asking for something else. So, um, you know, yeah, these movements are fringe. But uh, I mean, look, if you're listening to this podcast, even if you're a journalist trying to cancel us, uh, you know, you're, you're already a weirdo. And uh, yeah, so, so on, the, on the OPSEC thing, on the, on the cancellation thing, Look, I mean, you know, do you even need to be a poster? Yeah, you know, this is this is like, I, I would just question ask, one. Yeah, yeah. Quote question one: Do you even need to be a poster? You know, if you have an incurable desire to post, and like, no matter what you do, you can't lurk. Okay, maybe, uh, but like, uh, but like, you should really consider just not posting on the internet. <laughs> and like, the the only reason I say that is, uh, you know, think of just all of the guys that have been canceled for like not even the most crazy shit that they said, right? Like some person from Antifa, some journalist or whatever, just like starts harassing their employer, starts harassing their school. And then suddenly it's just a lot harder for them to live life and do normal stuff. And like, what is it all for? What did they get out of it? What did anyone get out of it? That's, yeah. that's like question number one to ask. Like, do you even want to be a poster? 
Second way that you might think about this is, you know, think about just a totally unrelated person. Uh, so if you're, you know, if you if you go to the white pages, if you go to like, you know, any of these like personal information broker sites, you just type in John Smith or whatever, right? Uh, like there are people in America named John Smith. Uh, sure. Like, like Miss, Mr. and Mrs. Smith are at the hospital and they're like, what do we name him? It's like, I know, John, let's name, let's name our, our you know, uh, you know, they're, they're the cousins, the does are like, yeah, it sounds like a great name. You know, these, these are real people. And, you know, just imagine you get John Smith's phone, his credit card, his ID, uh, all of his passwords, um, you know, everything about him. And he just says, hey, this is all yours now. Uh, here's my mother's maiden name in the street I grew up on. And then he just, he just vanishes. He just disappears from existence. Um, you know, now uh, you suddenly have this, like this other personhood that you could just inhabit. And, uh, you know, unless you start posting from the same IP address, uh, unless you meet a lot of people as this person that already know that's not what his face looks like, you could just, you could just be this guy indefinitely. You yeah. want to simulate a situation like that if you're going to be a poster. Um, you, you basically want to get as close to that situation as possible with your online identity. You know, different device, different internet connection, different numbers, different different city that it maybe lives in. Just don't, you know, in the same way that John Smith wouldn't really know anything about you, maybe you shouldn't post anything about yourself on the internet when you're posting yeah. ideas. And, uh, you know, if you, if you just do that, you're probably going to be fine. Um, so, like, so, like, you're you're probably not even Indian is what you're saying. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, you know, I'm an, I'm an Italian man who, uh, who lives in New Jersey. Um, <clears throat> no, I mean, so, no, yes. Uh, you know, to the, to the great, to the great chagrin of, uh, of, of, of many, uh, I am indeed quite Indian. Um, <laughs> uh, ethnically, uh, you know, th- thank God. Thank God. Can you, can you imagine if just like all day, every day on podcasts or clubhouse is just like a really thick Indian accent? That's just like, <laughs> yeah, it's just, just like every, everything is the same, but it's just like a really, really thick Indian. Uh, I, you yeah. know, you know, BAP's making a lot of money that way. I think you should consider it. Uh, he, you know, he, 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 he has a, a very silly beef with me because uh, he was just wrong about Trump from 2018 to 2020. I, you know, we, we still, we still give credit where credit is due. Uh, but uh, he's, I mean, the, the, the fake accent thing is, uh, I I don't know. He should just he should just he should just use a different one. He can still do a fake accent. He should just use a different one. Um, yeah. So that so that would be my advice. It's just like consider whether you really like want to be want to be a poster. Uh, and like, yes, yeah, somebody uh, somebody did one of those growth hacking tweets where they said like, would you stop tweeting for like fifty thousand dollars or hundred thousand dollars or something? And uh, this was this was a, a couple of months before I got doxxed, and I realized the answer was no. Yeah, I wouldn't. And, and that was a pretty, cause like that been sort of comfortably middle-class my entire life. And uh, that would be a lot of money. And, and that, that sort of realization that like, no, I actually, actually kind of need this in my life. Yeah. Uh, was, was pretty eye-opening. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, if the answer is yes, uh, then post posters post, uh, you know, I mean, look, look at, you know, our, our, our fit, you know, BAP, BAP is a great example. Uh, Lindy Man, you know, Paul Scalas is a great example. Uh, you know, Nick, Nick Taleb is, is especially funny to me because he he po- he posts with the vigor uh, and inflection of like a mid twenties man. Like he's just he's he's very very Trumpian in that regard. Yeah. Trump was the same way. Trump Trump would post and scrap uh, like a like a twenty year old man on the internet, uh, which which yeah. I enjoyed. Um, Viral, you know, robust. 
yeah, it's it's you know uh, you know Virtu Virtu counts for something. Um, <laughs> yeah, like if if you really if you really need to post and do this, just know that like the probability that you're gonna get docs uh, increases the larger your account gets, increases the more you have something interesting to say. Like Which the better you, you are, the more likely it is you're gonna get docs. It's you know right. so you just have to, you just have to reconcile yourself to that. Uh, so that so that kind of takes us towards like the whole exit thing. You know, a, a lot of the stuff that you can do or should do to mitigate this, I think, is basically the same thing that everyone should be doing to kind of become independent of the system, right? You know, to be canceled, right? You know, not not just like a TV show being canceled because some actor did something dumb, which is which is where that comes from. To be canceled, to be thrown out of society, is basically for for you know the people who are incumbent and have that power, that social leverage to say, look, you're not going to be able to make a living, you're not going to be able to have a social life, you're not going to be invited, and you're going to be reviled uh, within within our spaces. In a way, everyone in China is canceled from the U.S. <laughs> like there there is a nation of a billion plus people who make money, go to school, talk on the internet, uh, do do all sorts of things. And they have nothing to do with the Anglophone system. They have nothing to do with the world of blue checks. They have nothing to do with the world of BuzzFeed pieces. They are they are pre-canceled. They yeah. their entire existence is independent of the system. So if you pursue becoming really really resilient, uncancelable, right? You're actually also pursuing creating like all of the infrastructure that is just independent of the system anyway. And so I think it, you know it's just it's it's a win-win. Whether whether you fear being canceled, whether you don't fear being canceled, these are things that you should do because it makes you more resilient. It makes you less dependent on the system. Yeah, and it's one of my sort of preoccupations is the idea that you can't just go hide out in the woods by yourself. That you have to build the yes. infrastructure not only you know not only so you can make a living that isn't you know sort of growing potatoes and eating them. But also, so that because if you're gonna have kids, uh, you can't you can't raise your kids' friends, you can't raise your kids' girlfriends. Like there has to be a social weft, yeah, yeah, for for, for other people to plug into. And so that's a, a big piece of what I'm trying to do is to is to to make that possible. And and it sounds like it sounds like you're on the same page of like you. Yeah, yeah, it's you know so this is you know in a document that I'm gonna send to you and I'm, I'm gonna just make it like a public one, uh, you know, like it's under the header of like decentralization uh, does not imply isolation, yeah. um, you know, and and like you know you, you gotta you gotta give the devil his due. Uh, again, I reiterate, I you know I frankly I don't understand why Bap is so angry. I only very lightly teased him for being wrong about Trump, uh, <laughs> but like you know but, you know a central a central thing that came out of that book, uh, you know, sort of mood, a theme, a motif is perfectly true, right? If you are a single, physically healthy, strong, unattached man in like full possession of your physical capacities, you have a sound mind, sound body, uh, you know, you're not you know, morbidly obese, uh, you're not addicted to anything, uh, you are fundamentally dangerous to the state. And this is why every state essentially tries to recruit you into the security services, tries to offer you some kind of employment if it's smart, or like basically what turns what it turns into is that you become like a criminal <laughs> or you become like, you know, part of an opposing state that is contesting its legitimacy, right? Yeah. You know, think think about the set of all people who work as engineers for for Google. Amazon thinks about them as people that it either wants to recruit or people that it wants to outcompete, right? Yeah. yeah, this is this is just a pure nerd contest, but this is like 
this is organisms competing for space. This is these are two, two animals occupying the same niche. And so it can be a physical contest. It can be an intellectual contest, right? But this is, this is what the power of states pivot on, basically, right? You know, strong, capable, young men. And, uh, you know, everyone else in society, you know, whether they're women, whether they're old men, uh, whether they're, you know, less physically capable people, less mentally capable people, they all have like roles to play, right? But they're, they're really kind of like supporting roles in terms of like state power. Uh, there are a lot of other social spheres where they are the, the, the primarily important people, but in terms of state power and national power, really you can just look at the number of like young, healthy men aligned to a goal. And like, that is, that is the more powerful state. This is why, this is why China is doing so well, <laughs> right? Do, well, and I want to talk about that. Like, do you think that, that there's been a change in conscious strategy from trying to recruit them to trying to sort of neutralize them? Or do you think that this is just sort of a stupid ideology that's just sort of burning itself down we just we just have bad elites our elites are bad at being elites right you know if they if they really wanted stability what, what they want you know they are they are I, I don't want to put all of my cards on the table look they don't like a certain population within the u.s they are from uh different populations themselves and so they think of these young men as problematic they think of them as basically the vanguards of a system that could overturn them which they are and so they, they do want to replace them. They do want to make them irrelevant. They do want to elevate people over them. And, you know, they're they are basically treating them as the men of another country. Uh, yeah. th that, that is their mental disposition. And, uh, yeah, so, you know. Which maybe when, that when, explains some of the sympathy with Taliban. You know, why, why was their victory so compelling? Um, you know, why did Clarissa Ward you know, find herself just attracted and, and having to go and interview these guys and saying, ah, they're chanting death to America, but they seem friendly, you know, like yeah. you know, all, all of these anchors when they're, they're showing up, you know, France 24, BBC, uh, NBC Universal, CNN, all of these anchors, they're just, they're, they're, they don't quite know how to talk about it. They're experiencing massive cognitive dissonance. You know, the, the, the videos are hilarious. You know, they're like, wow, these guys are operating with supreme confidence. They've just they've never seen anything like this. It's just all of it's, you know, it's a Zoomer movement. It's all of these guys, 18 to 24 years old with machine guns and pickup trucks, just taking over a city. Who uh, weren't alive you know, when the sort of case of spell I happened. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's, it's hard not to admire that, right? You know, this is truly, this is, this is really the, the basis of state power. And that is what all of these journalists are freaking out about. Like they don't, they don't have a way to say that this is wrong or that this is evil. They're like, oh wait, this is obviously what the Afghans support, but we're on the other side, you know. Yeah. Um, so that's what that is. So you know, long story short, you, you know, you, if you're if you're listening to this and you're not like horrified by tacit support of the Taliban, you're not, you know, you're not just like freaking out about, you know, questioning the the, the current U.S. system. You know, what you want to do is you want to become. Uh, you want to employ, you want to coach, you want to help, you want to uh, develop, um, you know, you want to attract, you want to produce. Uh, this is for your female listeners. Uh, <laughs> you, you, want, you, want, you want to, you know, enable as many of these, you know, young men as possible. And you want to align them. And if you do that, uh, it's that much more likely that your vision of the world that should be comes into existence. And if you don't do that, it's that much more likely that it won't. So, you know, when you speak of a social weft, uh, you know, the warp and weft of like, you know, what creates a human society is like, how many young men 
are buying into this? How many young women are buying into this? How many families are coming out of this as a result? How many children are being had? You know, this is a very, it's like a very grug brained, uh, like basic way to look at it. But like, you know, if your ideology and your system results in fewer humans, <laughs> you, know, uh, you know, or, or, you know, or lower quality, more dependent, sicker, more obese, sadder humans, it's a bad system. And if yeah. your system results in more humans, stronger humans, more daring humans, you know, more happy humans, it's a good system. And like, it really is that simple. So absolutely. You know, uh, so that's that's really like that's really the goal in, in, in pursuing this kind of resiliency. Um, and it begins it begins basically with with becoming economically independent of the system. Absolutely. So you mentioned um, a certain population that is uh, sort of in the crosshairs. You've always demonstrated uh, a really sort of genuine affection for sort of the uh, the American or working man. But you're also kind of an outsider to that in terms of your background in class. To what extent, and I mean, you know, you, you clearly uh, grew up here. Um, to what extent do you identify their interests with your own versus how much of this is coming sort of from an outside perspective? I, I grew up in not, maybe not a rural area. Let's, let's say like a super rural area, you know, not suburban, sort of super rural. Uh, super in terms of, you know, above, not super in terms of very. Yeah, like, so, you know, I kind of, I kind of grew up in that milieu in, in Appalachia, and uh, that's where I was raised. Uh, that's where, you know, all of my formative experiences were. And, uh, and then I just, you know, I went to the, I went to the, uh, you know, the financial imperium of, of this Colombian state, uh, New York City for, for school and for work. And, yeah, you know, it's, it's weird, because, uh, you know, eventually I lost my accent my diction changed. Uh, I became a much more orotund speaker as, as your guests have certainly noticed, you know, I had to, I, I was mutated a little bit to fit in much more with people in, in this like group, but you know, a lot of the employment opportunities that you get in a place like that, uh, will also expose you to people who should basically just not be in charge of anything. You know, they, they are venal. They don't really care about other people they're kind of cruel and you'll, you'll see it, you know, you'll see it in little things in terms of like how they treat other people around them. If you get them talking to like about any kind of politics, if you're a decent person, you're just going to be on the opposite side. Uh, yeah. It's, it's that really, you know, this is, you know, maybe this is Schumpeter's new class. Maybe this is the, the professional managerial class, the people of Sam Francis's Leviathan, you know, maybe maybe some guy called William Luther Pierce talked about, uh, you know, a middle class or something. Um, these are these are this like sort of professional, you know, well-to-do DTC consumer <laughs> consuming people. They, they just suck. They're really they really suck. They're, they're really up and down assholes and uh, they hate everything that is good and sweet and true. And like, you know, it doesn't really matter what your background is if you're just like a decent person, you're not going to like them. And and the reality is that most people don't like them, but are economically dependent on them. And so they just kind of go along with it. Like, yeah. you know, it's very easy to shit on San Francisco uh, physically and, and uh, figuratively. Legally, yeah. uh, I, I haven't tried. I haven't tried. Just, just so everyone knows. Uh, it's very, <laughs> very easy to, uh, to shit on, to shit on New York. Um, right. Like these are, these are places full of like contemptible stuff. Thing is like, even most of the people who live there, are also just like decent, but they're just kind of going along with everything because if they don't, 
uh, they can't afford to live there anymore and they have to figure something out and they don't want to be able, they don't want to, they don't want to do that. And so yeah. you know, they, they go along with sort of insane politics. So that's kind of the reason I have this disposition is it's like, you know, there's only so many times people can call like the people you grew up with evil before you're like, all right, <laughs> I fucking hate you people. Right? There's, there's, there's like a threshold <laughs> where like you snap and you're like, I have to, you know, I have to, I have to destroy, I have to destroy the, the modern world. <laughs> Like, but then also it's like, you know, so th there's that kind of inherent grossness, but then, you know, uh, th there are a lot of other things too that are, that are sort of nasty. You know, there are a lot of, uh, there are a lot of things related, um, you know, basically to just like cleanliness, family formation, interpersonal relationships. Uh, there's just, there's just a lot of like mundane life stuff that are obviously not good that this part of the system is responsible for. Yeah, uh, that the other system is like clearly better at and where it's not better at it's failing because of like things and structures that were taken away from it by this system right or or, or poisons that they introduced most most obviously with with like opioids so yeah i mean that's that's basically that's basically the long and short of it like so you, know, you're, why, you're, why you are sort of coming at it from the outside but it's sort of a common i mean it sounds kind of hippy dippy but like sort of a common humanity yeah yeah all, i mean all you sane know, healthy people despise this and all sane healthy people would want to get rid of it if they could yeah i mean there were there were um there were czarist officers who who left the russian military and like they went and fought for like you know uh you know the the zogist movement in albania um there you know there there are people who uh you know they left uh, you know, they they left uh, you know service in in Rhodesia, and then they went and fought you know against communists in Latin America. Uh, you know, yeah. if, you're, if you're you know, it's all it's all kind of the same fight over and over and over again everywhere. You know, how many how many people in America have any sort of ethnic connection to Lee Kuan Yew? Very few, right? And yeah. and yet, if you sort of just watch any of his speeches, read anything that he wrote, uh, look at how he governed Singapore. Very rarely do writers find like a lot of things to complain about, you know. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, I, I think this is this is basically a universal tendency. There's an essay that I recommend everyone read. I was published in National Review under the title uh, "Penzies Like Thoughts." Um, Joseph Sobrin objected to that title because he thought it was pretentious because it was French. But yeah, if you Google Joseph Sobern Pensies, uh, there's like one site that still has an archive of it and you read it. He, he talks about these sort of two tendencies, a kind of a nativism and an alienism, you know, sort of an inclination to the home and to order and an inclination towards like what is, you know, alien, foreign and weird. And uh, this, this is just, I think this is a universal human thing. So, and, and I wanted to talk about this more because we're both sort of um, particularly on Twitter, uh, we are on the side of people who, you know, I, I feel like the, the, the most important ones, the most interesting ones, uh, you know, maybe, maybe uh, BAP accepted in your case, um, all kind of get that we're on the same side. And I have, I have a lot of good friends there, but I, I, I also am aware that like, there's a distance between us in terms of, cause you know, I'm a Latter-day Saint and that's uh, weird to a lot of them. You're Hindu. What is that experience like for you? Uh, after a certain point on the IQ bell curve, people all kind of know the score. So yes, it's like, it's just not a big deal. You know, <laughs> if, if someone wants to pour through my 23 and me and be like, 
hmm, you're not as you're not as step embla enriched as uh, as this guy from uh, Tatarstan. So therefore, <laughs> uh, you know, you're not like you know. Then you know that's fine too. Although, you know, strictly speaking, sometimes actually a lot of Brahmins are, even though they have more onge uh, admixture. Yeah, I mean, like you know, whatever. You know, the, the the chips the chips fall uh, where where they fall, and uh, you know, people people have their backgrounds and. Yeah, you know, it's it it gets into like one struggle territory, but also like, <laughs> but but like actually, you know, like consider Europe. You know, why did why did Europe and uh, you know join together, um, you know, to 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 stop the advancing uh, Mongol hordes, to stop the Ottomans, you know, to, uh, you know, then again later, you know, under under you know an anti-communist banner, uh, why do they do that? Uh, they're very different peoples. Uh, well, because they have something in common. So yeah, I mean, you know, the, you know, to to the extent that an individual is actually not so ultra super powerful and sovereign on their own, and they have to uh, coalesce with others, uh, they should do that. And to the extent that they don't need to do that, and they should have their own shit and be independent of them, they should do that. <laughs> you know, that's it's really it's kind of kind of the whole game here with uh, with you know, you know, exit and loyalty and voice and then becoming resilient. Yeah. So uh, yeah, we haven't. Uh, I, I can I can I can be a Hindu chauvinist all day, uh, as you know, as as, ever, as everyone should be Hindu. Uh, but you know, I understand that some people's ethnic traditions are a little bit too far away from uh, the benevolent warmth of uh, of Indra. So I, I, I wanted to ask yeah. you about that too, because like almost all of the Indians that I know personally, they like have their their Indian friends and they have their sort of miscellaneous friends. Um, <laughs> and I I want to know a is that the case for you, and b like do you talk politics with those guys? Like, how does your, how does your approach to all this sort of play on like home turf? So there, there's a very funny onion article, which is uh, area man doesn't understand why Asian guy has entirely Asian friend group or whatever. If you, if you Google <laughs> that, you find it. And like the closing line is something like, and they all speak English to each other. I don't get it. What's the big deal? <laughs> <laughs> So basically what's what's going on there is it's like, how come this Mormon guy has a group of friends that are just all Mormons or whatever? Like, sure, sure. This guy that plays basketball has a group of friends that just only play basketball together. Yeah, um, no, and I, I, it's obviously the same uh, for us. But like like in my case, I kind of had to find a rarefied cluster of members yeah, of the church. Yeah, uh, the, the, the unfortunate thing about uh, basically all high IQ immigration to the U.S. is uh, that you know, if you're smart and you're ambitious, unless you have like maybe a personality defect, maybe principle, uh, you know, exercises left to the reader, um, unless you have a reason, uh, you're probably going to be on the side of the most incumbent, uh, most obviously mainstream, uh, most obviously salutary uh, way to get to the top, right? Yep. And what that means is, you know, <laughs> the immigrants assimilate, but they, they assimilate into the New York Times, you know, they, they assimilate into Harvard, they assimilate into, you know, all of these, all of these structures. And so, uh, yeah, you know, like 90, 90%, I think, of, of, you know, Indian Americans are just, just tr tremendous shit libs, uh, you know, <laughs> as, as you might expect of like, you know, white collared professional people. Sure. Uh, on the other hand, uh, it means that if people aren't, <laughs> you know, it's very rare, very rare that you find apolitical ones. So, so it's like if they're not a shit lib, um, they're consciously it, rejecting being a shit lib. They're, they're, 
yeah right it's like you know if, if 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 they don't if they don't go with the flow they've probably spent some time on uns review or something <laughs> you know it's like <laughs> yeah, there, there's very little middle ground uh so so that's a, that's a positive too and yeah i mean like uh do i you know uh anon uh please don't bring up politics at the dinner table uh you know <laughs> yeah like just you know in 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 my regular life with both my uh you know Palaris and uh, people of color friends. I just, you know, I just usually don't bring up politics. And then with subsets of both, it's just like, it's, I mean, you know, <laughs> it's, yeah. it's very cancelable. So yeah, I mean, that's, that's how that goes. Okay. Is, and I, I, I heard on the, the Kashuta podcast that, um, that your parents are sort of Trumpian. Do they? They're, they're just like dispositionally based. Uh, like a lot of, a lot of immigrants are just like this. You, you can see this, uh, like, like, yeah, just a, a lot of immigrants who came to the United States before basically the, the 90s, their disposition is just naturally to the right wing because it is. And so, like, yeah, you know, they're, they're just, you know, they're, in, in many ways, they're much more based uh, than even I am, uh, although they don't <laughs> apolitical people, you know, in terms of, in terms of their natural inclinations. Uh, yeah, they're just, they're just very based. Not a ton of like uh, what it, what it lacks in nuance, it makes up in intensity and passion. Uh, that, that's at least the case of my family. Yeah, yeah. It's like you know, imagine 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 going to Cedar Rapids, Iowa, and going to like a, a bar uh, and talking to someone who's been going there for thirty years and used to work in a mill, and you're like, "Hey, man, do you want to hear about the Americana project?" He'd be like, "What? Do you, what? <laughs> he doesn't need he doesn't need to hear about any of this, you know?" Like, right. He doesn't, he doesn't need, you know, he's, he's just, he is, he is that guy. So, right. uh, yeah, that's, that's how they are. <laughs> I wanted to ask you also about sort of uh, your, your relationship to Hinduism because you have re- referred to it often and it's, there's always sort of a, an armor of irony about it. Like not, not that you're, not that you're uh, making a joke of it, but it's, it is, it is always brought forward in the context of kind of a joke. It's and always so, lighthearted. It's always lighthearted. Yeah. yeah. And I want yeah. to know kind of what that really means it's, to you. It's always lighthearted because I mean, look, I, I don't, uh, so I don't think of, I don't think of Hinduism. I don't think of the Vedic tradition. I don't think of our philosophy as something that is easily universifiable, even though the subject matter of the Vedas, and this, this comes out, you know, if you read, if you read the Gita, what is Arjuna asking Krishna about? He's asking about his place in the world. He's asking about his duty. He's asking about how to reconcile, you know, his misgivings with his duty about, like, you know, his personal affections in the world. These are very human, universifiable problems. And, you know, ultimately we have, we have our own thinking about why humans have these inadequacies, why they, you know, why they fear action, why they, you know, delight in comforts and, and, and things like that, and why, why they feel a need to do this. We, we do have answers that are pretty universifiable. However, those things exist within a three to four to 5,000 year old ethnic tradition that is like kind of impenetrable and like sort of very hard to relate to if you're not from it. And so I don't want to go around Twitter telling people to read the Gita or find a guru or start praying or doing any of these things because it's just like the bar is too high. And so though like, so, so aspects of it though, that, you know, historically are related to the Proto-Indo-European peoples and related to the ancestral peoples that, that Indians and Europeans share in common. A lot of those sort of cultural modes, a lot of those edicts sort of carry on. And, 
you know, I think it's worth highlighting them because they are inspiring. They are pretty profound. And so I think I think you know a fun way to do that is uh, you know it should be a fun way, right? Sure. Uh, rather rather than a very you know finger wagging naggy way, <clears throat> yeah, is is with a little bit of lightheartedness. And uh, yeah, you know I mean it's uh, you know and if in this way also, I'll I'll just be honest. I love my Christian friends. I love my Jewish friends. I love my Muslim friends. I love my Buddhist friends. Uh, you're all wrong. <laughs> you're you're, you're <laughs> all wrong we need to clean this. you know I don't, I don't want to be in the position where i'm just like dunking on someone's you know deeply held philosophical traditions or theological positions or you know family faiths or whatever so i'm also not gonna you know there, there's a thing that uh, you know our beloved orthobros do where they're just like <laughs> they just get in beefs with catholic twitter for no reason yeah and it's like oh, okay zoomer orthodox uh i can't i can't <laughs> second in line to be the patriarchate or something like um, like that's also very silly. Like, and then like I saw, I saw a thread. It was like, it's like a 200 reply thread or something where people were like just bitching about like what the actual church was. And yeah, I, I don't even want to wade into those waters. So yeah, so I don't, I don't make a serious uh, proclamation that everyone should be a Hindu. Although I think, you know, that would be a good idea. <laughs> well, how does it, how does it, so in, in, in my experience, people are often surprised to hear that I am a Latter-day Saint, given uh, given my politics and given you know sort of the politics of the members of the church they're aware of, which is like Mitt Romney and maybe like Harry Reid and Evan McMullen, obviously. And the, the problem with that for me is like it, it totally informs my politics. Like I, I I I view it as almost demanded by my politics, and I am as surprised as anyone to to find that uh, that that I'm in sort of the same uh, tent as, as, as guys like Mitt and, and Evan. So how does, how does your Hinduism sort of inform your politics or is it a separate entity? Yeah. So I had, I had a thread on this, uh, a while back. And so when, when I was in high school, I started, I started learning Sanskrit and, uh, you know, this kind of, this, this sort of, there's a sort of tension that I had when I was, you know, very young, where I would, you know, read or be told, you know, all of these stories of our epics, you know, all of our heroes, you know, Yudhishthira, Arjuna, Bala, Nala, these are all, all of these guys are warriors. And, you know, the, the kind of conduct that, you know, you're raised with, you know, when you do, uh, there's, there's a, a festival, uh, you know, a sort of a ceremony of Raksha Bandhan, where, you know, every, every brother to a sister is told, look, it is your duty to protect your sister at all costs. And you know you get the string tied around your wrist. You do a puja. That's a that's a prayer. You do a prayer for her. She does a prayer for you. And you are assigned the role explicitly of her protector. And it's a matter of your personal honor to keep her safe. And like, you know, there's there's all of this stuff that's like, you know, well, why why was Lord Rama, you know, obviously the person that should have married Sita? Well, because he could string the bow of Shiva. He could win the archery contests. You know, he was the strongest warrior of them all. And all of these things are there. And it's like, yeah, awesome. And then, like, you look at modern Indian politics and you look at, you know, the sort of the sort of more Western approved version of Hinduism that is taught in schools and that, you know, a lot of Indians try explaining their politics through. And it's just like, yeah. And then Gandhi didn't eat for 90 days. <laughs> like he was just this lowly, humble man. And all, yeah, it's just like, what the fuck? Like yeah. what's going on here? Right. 
you know, so the re the reality is that like not that I'm good, say was based. Uh, <laughs> like, uh, you know, you know, they're, they're actually that martial vigor is there. It's just it's constantly uh, it's defamed, it's disavowed, it's not taught, it's it's hidden because there's a, a particular class of really anglicized, westernized, kind of deracinated Hindus who. I mean, they, you know, they are the most colonialized people of all. They like, they really just want India to be a secular, liberal Western democracy. And so, you know, they're very anti-Hindu. You know, they'll talk about Hindutva and Hindu fascism and like all of these things and they'll defame it. And it's like, these are traditions. This is what we grew up with. And, you know, when I, when I learned Sanskrit later in, in high school and I started doing, you know, translations of the Vedas, uh, translations of the prayers that I had grown up with, you know, myself rather than, you know, what was written down on a piece of paper, like actually word for word translating. Uh, I was just like, oh, wait a minute. <laughs> like all, all these people are, are lying, right? It's just like, you know, this is not, uh, this is not a tradition about, you know, uh, yeah, again, I'm, I'm very, I'm veering into the territory where I start butting up against Christianity. So forgive me. This is not a tradition about turning the other cheek. This right. is not a tradition about the meek inheriting the earth. This is not a tradition about, uh, you know, appeasement. Uh, this is a tradition about killing your enemies if they disrespect you. This is a tradition of standing up for righteousness at the cost of your own life. This is, I mean, it's, it's, it's a very martial warrior-like tradition. And, uh, you know, it's, it's not even like this sort of staid, uh, uh, you know, reserved thing. I mean, like there's, there's weed, <laughs> you know, there's, <laughs> there's, you know, sex books, uh, you know, they're, they're like, I mean, it's just, it's, it's a very, it's a, it's, it's a very, uh, you know, it's, it's a tradition of people who would, you know, drink Soma and uh, have a lot of children uh, and, uh, you know, go to war with people. Uh, like that's, yeah. that is tradition. And like, you know, those people eventually, yes, they settled down, uh, you know, on the banks of, of uh, Mother Ganga and they, they thought about uh, the world and, and, you know, the, the relationship of the self and the world was revealed to them. Uh, you know, ahimsa doctrine was was developed. Uh, you know, not eating meat was developed. These are these are sacraments of a particular priestly caste. But you know, the the kind of parody view of Hinduism, where it's just this sort of like hippy dippy, hey man, you know, yeah. we're all just like, that's a that's a different thing, and that's that's actually encouraged by a particular strand of Indology. Uh, you know, Audrey Trushke is a, is a perfect example. That view of Hinduism is encouraged because it keeps Hindus and it keeps Indians, particularly within India, politically docile and unable to essentially assert their ownership of India and indeed, uh, you know, greater Aryavarta. Um, all of that land is ours and it will be ours. We're going to take it back. And like that requires, you know, that requires a sense of ownership. And it's that basic fundamental like martial disposition that they really don't want Hindus to have. Well, I, I mean, you should go bowling with the guys because it, it sounds very similar to our frustrations with our sort of deracinated is a good word, even though we're all white managerial class types. We're, we're very bought into the system and it is kind of, it, it's similar to that sort of immigrant assimilationist experience where it's like they, they're very conscious of their identity as outsiders. And so they're just falling all over themselves to be liked. And uh, it's frankly pretty disgusting. A way that I would push back on on the the idea of Christianity being pacifistic is like I, I fundamentally reject the idea that people figured out how to be Christian in like 1961. Like, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like that that 
that has not been the way that Christians have historically interacted with non-Christians or with each other. And, you know, there's an extent to which they were maybe being bad Christians, some of them, but I don't think all of them. And, and there, there is such a thing as, as, uh, like you said, standing up for what's right. And, and particularly also, um, in our tradition, we have less justification to be fundamentalist about that's, that's, that's what I call it is sermon on the Mount fundamentalism is they take that one speech, which is an important speech and they make that the whole thing and they ignore all the other counterfactual evidence. Yeah. You know, it's, it's a, it's a several thousand pages. There's, there's a thing that, that gets done by basically retarded people uh, whenever like gun control comes up where like journalists will do this. Well, you see, even Scalia said that the second amendment is not an unlimited right. And it's like, motherfucker, just like read the whole thing. You know, uh, like, he's, he's not, that's not what he's saying. Excuse, excuse my French. I realize this is a, this is a Mormon podcast. Uh, uh, matron Hecker, uh, this is not the whole thing. Uh, maybe I should say that. Like, yeah, no, it's, uh, that's, that's definitely true. Um, that is why my disposition is the way that it is. And, uh, you know, plan, plan C or whatever is, uh, I just, you know, I'll just, I'll just go to India. I'll just pull an Indira Gandhi, uh, you know, <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll whip them into shape. Yeah, it's, but it's, it's the same, it's the same sort of fight happening over and over and over again. If you, you know, I, I encourage, you know, any, any, any person who's part of this nation called, you know, white America, or frankly, just America, you know, Heritage America is, is pretty large. It's pretty, pretty all encompassing. I don't, you know, t- Clarence Thomas doesn't strike me as a, as a, as a Ghanaian. Uh, he right. doesn't, doesn't strike me as a Kenyan, you know. You know, any, anyone who's part of this nation, I think, should pay attention to Indian politics, uh, particularly all the Hindutva stuff, because it's the same, you get basically the same contours of a fight in a different color palette. A lot of the stuff that is going to be debuted in the U.S. has been, uh, like kind of standard fare in in India for a while. Um, example. Yeah. So so in India, all temples are actually administered by the state. Supposedly secular state. Uh, all temples and their finances are administered by the central government. Pretty weird, right? And the reason that was done is because, you know, they, they were like, hey, you're you're mismanaging this money. Uh, maybe there's some amount of corruption here. Or maybe you're donating to the wrong political candidates. So you know, the state should actually be in charge. Um, this is in an officially secular country, right? Yeah. <laughs> um, like, and uh, that's coming. That that shit is coming. Um, you know, the, the left looks at the super PACs and they look at the churches and they look at the religious exemptions. And to them, they see it as a big pot of money that they should be in control of. Uh, and, oh, yeah. And like that, that is that is going to happen in the U.S. I have, I have no doubt. 100%. Uh, I, guess, I guess the next step. Yeah. So, so you know, it's like, Again, it's like you know, if you wanna if you wanna understand the system, you should you should understand its other manifestations. Um, but you know, the most the most important thing I think for an individual to do is just get as resilient as possible, get as cancel proof as possible, uh, so that if you are canceled, you'll be okay, and if you're not canceled, uh, you'll be more and more independent of the system, more and more sovereign. Hundred percent. Well, uh, Mr. Bronson, it's been a pleasure. Uh, speaking with you today. Let's uh, direct people to um, your Twitter, which is Indian underscore Bronson, right? That's correct. Although the, uh, the I is now a, is now a lowercase L. Uh, oh, we won't, 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 won't talk about how that happened. Um, <laughs> and, 
uh, and uh, yeah, you can you can also find me on Urbit uh, if, you, if you're if you're an Urbit person. And honestly, if you if you have a Galaxy, if you have a Star, if you have a Comet, you probably already know how to find me. Uh, yeah. But uh, Small you know, typical Eric. Yeah, you know, you can you can you can you can find me on Urbit. It's not hard. <laughs> uh, and uh, yeah, so I'm I'm gonna be publishing a note soon that I'll I'll share with you. That's like. You know, if someone has listened to this and been like, wow, all of this talk, what are the things that I do? How do I actually do any of this? Uh, this document has it. And it's like, here's the stuff that you should learn how to do. Here are the kinds of jobs that you should try and get. And uh, here's what I humbly think are like the kinds of things that you should start purchasing and, you know, get a, get a hold of in terms of land, in terms of like income, income generating assets, stuff that you should, you know, buttress your own life with so that, you know, if you if you never get to go to a store again, if you never get to have a corporate job again or whatever, uh, you'll be okay. You, know, you, you might not be super wealthy, but you'll be okay, and your family will be okay. And I, yeah. I think that you know, pursuing that at a, at a very broad scale is uh, is is worth quite a lot. Well, I am really excited to see that, and I'm gonna start calling you Lindy and Bronson now. That's beautiful. <laughs> Please don't. Um, <laughs> it'll give it away. You know, I mean, Twitter censors. Uh, they're good. They're not that good, though. We don't want to make it too easy for them. <laughs> okay. So, uh, and then, and then, uh, IndianBronson.substack is is your Substack, and that's uh, that's a great source of insight. Really fun to read. Yeah. Uh, thanks so much for coming. Hey, man. Thanks for having me.